You know the dinner scene in the movie Beetlejuice where they all become possessed? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a uh, dream dinner party is what I call that. <laughs> that sort of seems like what we do every Saturday night. But that aside, the entire idea is contacting the spirit world and being able to talk to them in the real world. That's kind of the idea there. Uh-huh. Been there, done that. Next. <laughs> well, this episode is sort of a twist on that concept. So Babylon Working was a series of rituals in the 40s where a man named Jack Parsons wanted to turn a spirit into, get this, a full-time real human being. So nothing temporary, no temporary possessions, just like full-on bring him down to earth, make him a human. Oh, like a zombie. Good. Only permanent <laughs> possessions beyond this point. Nice. Only permanent. No going back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Christine Schieffer. And I'm M. Schultz. And every week, we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. Today, we are talking about Babylon working, and I don't even know how to introduce this topic in kind of a, a casual way because it's just so off the wall. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it. But just buckle up, M. It's a roller coaster, I hear. Let's crack into it. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to The Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today we're talking about the Babylon working experiments, but the story involves being part of an occult organization. Seems like a running theme through this podcast. Yeah, (laughs) That's the one thing that probably won't shock me today. The least surprising part, right? Yeah. So would you consider yourself to be part of an occult group? I guess that's not really the right phrasing. You're part of a few, like, societies. My Christian grandfather would, for sure. He would say I'm part of many occult communities. Oh, oh, same with, yeah, same with my family (laughs) as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say paranormal societies, though. Yeah, yeah, that sounds a little less dramatic. I'm not sure, but... If you were to compare being part of an occult group to, say, a fraternity, a sorority, even maybe a religion, some sort of like group organization, um, how would you compare them? Well, as someone who's also been in fraternities and sororities, I could just do a little trifecta Venn diagram. I don't know anything about religion, oh. though, so but I could t- I could take a whack at it. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like they all got pretty strong similarities, at least in their main tenets of like camaraderie and common values with your peers and also having like rituals or ceremonies or symbolism. That's a 
good point. I hadn't thought. Of. Well, I was never in a fraternity or sorority, um, as you know about. It's me. just like an occult group. It's just actually. like oh, see that's see if I'd known that I would have been part of my Greek life at my school. You I know? don't know about the rest of them, but in my sorority, we absolutely summoned the devil. So oh. I don't know. It was. I guess that's a similarity. Also, I guess that'll be <laughs> summoning the devil. <laughs> yeah, that seems um, maybe religion is not quite in that Venn diagram portion, but um, that yeah, part's that the outlier. I think. Yeah, you're right. Well, I have another question for you. Have you ever believed in something so much, even if it sounded crazy to everyone else around you and you just still stuck with your guns? Uh, well, I mean, I guess some people would say that ghosts is one of those topics, but I have I feel like the, me believing in ghosts has kind of been a, a mainstay since I was like seven. Right. So and I feel like people wouldn't be like, wow, that's absolutely yeah. crazy because, I, you know, so many people do. Maybe time travel. I don't know. I'm a big believer in time travel. Mm. I like the multiverse. I feel like nothing is too far out of the realm of possibility, though. Yeah, I think for me, it was when I started doing like uh, the Akashic Record stuff and I tried to explain oh, yeah. it to people. And I was like, oh, it's a vast library with all the information of past, present and possible futures. And people were like, oh, so like a, a symbolic library. And I was like, no, it's a literal library. And you go meet your spirit guides there. And people were like, cool. Thanks for meeting me on this fun Bumble BFF date. I'm really not interested in talking anymore. And I was like, oh, bye. I got to be honest, it does sound bananas. But I also know you well enough to know that like, if you're on board, like, ride or die, Christine. If you're into it, I'm into it. Like, <laughs> I love that about you. And also, you did my Akashic Records one time and predicted a lot of very odd things that even you could not have known. I don't even remember, but um, I'm going to trust you on that. You did a good job. I was asking about relationships Thank and you. you said like, wait a week. And then I met Allison, like something crazy like that. Or uh, And then I waited a week and introduced you to Allison and said, I'm the best matchmaker. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I have to reconsider everything you've ever told me now. Yeah. I'm just saying not to be devil's advocate on your compliment of me. But. No, I'm still going to fight against you and say you've got something going on there. Oh, yeah. well, thank you. Yeah. I guess I just always felt left out not being part of a sorority. And so I decided to do my own L.A. sorority. I will say if my sorority sisters knew that Akashic Records were possible, you would have had a lot of followers. I think you could have turned that into a, a very different group really quick. <laughs> my own sorority. <laughs> I love it. Well, do you know anything about Babylon working or Jack no, Parsons? I, Jack Parsons sounds <laughs> familiar, but I don't know where I know the name from. But I Babylon working, I've never heard of. Yeah, uh, I hadn't either. And I'm sort of surprised I haven't heard of it because it's so off the wall. But then again, I'm not so surprised because, once again, it's so off the wall. So it's it's hard to say. I feel like this story is a, a big tale of um, contradicting elements. Oh, <laughs> I love a tale. So, well, I'm going to spin you a pretty good one. So Jack Parsons was an extremely smart guy. He was a man of science, and he found his way and got really passionate about these spiritual experiments. And I feel like we've talked a little bit about when science meets the occult, mm -hmm. and it's something I, I find very interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that before we dive in, just like the, the, a scientist kind of delving into this whole world? I do, just because I feel like we've talked about how they go hand in hand, but I feel like this guy takes it to a whole new level. And I'm always fascinated by the topic of, quote, smart people ending up in worlds like this, where it's like mm -hmm. people could justify it with saying, like, I thought you were really smart. How did you end up here? Right. But I don't know. I guess I would compare that to, like, when people say, like, oh, you're really strong. How did you end up, like, 
as a victim of abuse or something like some strong people end up in that position. Some smart people end up in a position where they're believing some real kooky stuff mm-hmm. and like, which is how, where this story ends up, by the way, like I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how, if I can justify where this story ends, but as someone who's like a big, um, I was about to say a big fan of QAnon, but I'm a big, Whoa. <laughs> as someone who's like fascinated by people who follow QAnon, I feel like I've used the argument a lot of like, there's a lot of smart people out there that just fall for mm-hmm. very silly stuff. And that's why it's so dangerous because yeah. it doesn't just affect a certain group of people. Yeah, I think there's smart people who are quicker to skepticism than others, but I think there's also smart people who the reason they're, they've been considered smart their whole life is because they challenge or question yeah, information brought to point. them. That's a good point. I think they just question a little too hard in the wrong direction and end up on a very silly path. I love this use of the word silly. It's my favorite word. Yeah, it's a good word. I feel like by the end of this, <laughs> um, we might have graduated to a more mm, advanced word than silly just because things go I'm trying s- to keep it as diplomatic as possible currently. <laughs> no, I like it. I feel like we got to keep it even keel. And then as we go on, we'll kind of determine where on the silly scale we've landed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Also, diplomats, if you need a good word next time you're challenged by something, just silly always works because it throws people off <laughs> a little bit. fits the bill no matter what you're talking about. <laughs> well, we talked about the wickedest man in the world, Alistair Crowley, in a previous episode. So um, go listen to that one if you want to hear more about him. But basically, just as like a, a recap, Crowley had a somewhat scandalous approach to the occult in the early 1900s in that he promoted following one's desire while combining magic and sexual freedom. So Mm -hmm. we did a whole episode on this, but he really, especially for the early 1900s, was pretty out there uh, for for people. Silly. Very silly guy. (laughs) (laughs) Crowley joined the occult society, the Ordo Templi Orientis, O-T-O, and this group would sometimes engage in what they called sex magic. So, uh-huh. How could I forget about the sex magic? How could you magic? forget? It's a, a very um, big part of that episode we did. <laughs> yeah, it was. So Crowley was named National Grand Master General of the English branch of the O-T-O, in April of 1912. Okay. And then three years later, in 1915, Crowley and another OTO member founded the OTO chapter named Agape Lodge Number no. 1 in Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay. So now we're in Canada. He's started this first lodge. Then we fast forward 20 years, two decades later, Agape Lodge Number no. 2 held its first meeting in 1935 in Los Angeles. So now we've landed... Mm. In L.A. and our main character today, Jack Parsons, joined this lodge in 1941. I did look it up to see if it still exists. That's a hot no, folks. Just okay. I, I just be, I just wanted to know how close by it might be to me. It's not there anymore. So yeah, I'm glad you checked. I didn't think to check. Then again, it's I'm not in a position anymore where it could be my next door neighbor and you are. That's uh, what I was worried about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it could be my upstairs neighbors who were full of cockroaches for a it while. It would explain a lot about their behavior. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Parsons was a respected chemical engineer and aerospace pioneer. So we're talking not just smart guy, but like next level smart. And, you know, mm. it's interesting because I feel like you sort of touched on this, that some people who have been considered smart all their lives, it's because they kind of went against the grain and challenge. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there are some examples today, too, where, like, you meet, like, the most successful people on the planet and they're really, like, off the wall, like, kind of not totally... It's almost 
I'm just going to finish your sentence for you because Please I just do. felt like interrupting. I My guess. coffee hasn't kicked in. Please do. No, but I think where you're going is it feels like their intelligence started as a superpower and becomes like their, you know, the thing that actually hurts them. Like they flew too close to the sun. That's actually not what I was saying. But oh, it is damn it. A good point. Wow. I was like ready to let you take over. But I know. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point, too. But I think what I'm trying to say without, hmm, I guess I'll just say it. So people like Elon Musk, where they're very successful, oh. but then in real life, you know, are pretty off the wall and like strange and uh-huh. for better or for worse. You know what I mean? Like people who are like very successful, but then have like pretty wild th- philosophies, ideas, uh, behaviors in their Uh personal life or even professional life. So I I guess what I'm saying is, oh, you can see somebody who might be like an aerospace pioneer, very successful, also has these kind of wacky or one might say silly Mm -hmm. philosophies, ideas, beliefs. The word you're looking for in the South, uh, I've been called it many times, is eccentric. (laughs) Eccentric. Precisely. That's the, the word. The southern way of saying "f you." You're re- really weird. What's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a little eccentric. Yeah, a little quirky every now and then. So that's that's basically all I was trying to say. So he is this very well respected chemical engineer, aerospace pioneer. He actually helped found both the California Institute of Technology's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Aerojet General. And so once Parsons joined the Agape Lodge, he quickly got Aleister Crowley's attention. And within the year, Crowley named Jack Parsons head of Agape Lodge number two. So they Crowley saw something in him that impressed him and promoted him right to the top. Oh, hey, okay. So Parsons eventually moved the lodge to his own mansion in Pasadena, which once again is is close to you in Burbank. I looked it up. That one is 13 minutes away from me. So <laughs> Oh boy, a little close. A little Uh-oh. close well, for comfort. <laughs> I don't I don't feel safe anymore. <laughs> And so as the man in charge, Parsons was then allowed to <laughs> allowed to perform advanced magical rites. I'm glad he got the OK. Like, <laughs> like what? Crowley was like, all right, I like what I see in you. <laughs> like what kind fella. of green light do you need? Like, what do you need? Did he have to prove himself or was it just like a, a title? Like, couldn't he was just there a them? test? Was it yeah. like, oh, you put so much money into this and you moved it into your mansion? I guess you can do your own magical rights now by the way his mansion was it's i checked the neighborhood it is it's millionaires row so like that's oh sure 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 sure. so i'm sure alistair crowley saw that place and went yeah you can be whatever you want yeah you, <laughs> you do all the magical rights that you'd like uh yeah. and i'll support you or at least i'll turn a blind eye yeah so parsons increasingly became interested in the idea of breaching the border between the spiritual and material realms to bring a supernatural entity into the real world. So this is sort of what we hinted at up top of bringing a spirit into human physical form on Earth. Mm -hmm. It's just like first time I'm hearing of anybody passionate about this side of the occult. So what he would do is he would conduct magic rituals in an effort to merge the worlds of the spiritual and material realms. And those series of rituals were called the Babylon working. I feel like that spiritual (laughs) realm was like, I do not wish to be written into your narrative. (laughs) Leave me out of it. (laughs) Coming up, I've got the details on how Jack Parsons' experiment played out and whether it was ever truly successful. I am going to guess it does not work, but if I'm wrong, the story's about to get so interesting. So... (laughs) 
Listeners, most of you probably know that I host another podcast series called Serial Killers. What you may be surprised to learn is that we've been working on that podcast for five years now. So as a special treat for the fans, we've prepared an anniversary series examining the mythology surrounding four of the most feared killers who ever lived. Kemper, Gacy, Bundy, Dahmer. This four-part series uncovers the men behind the mayhem, analyzing what turned them into killers and how their lethal behavior made them renowned for all the wrong reasons. Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any true crime or storytelling fan, and this fifth anniversary special is not one to miss. Check it out today by following Serial Killers, free and only on Spotify. Let's get into story time here, Em. Alistair Crowley, also known as, if you recall, the Great Beast 666, world's best nickname. Yeah, your favorite screen name there ever was. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm so jealous I didn't come up with it. So he allowed the Ordo Templi Orientis, or the OTO, to expand to California in the 1930s. Uh, their chapter there was named the Agape Lodge Number no. 2, and they were known to deal in sex magic. And then by the early 1940s, Jack Parsons was going to their nightly meetings. Um, he was witnessing these strange rituals that took place. And some of these rituals, which I found interesting personally, were weird twists on Catholic Mass. And Catholic Mass is pretty weird already as a Reformed Catholic. I was going to say, as someone who is not Catholic but had to attend a few Catholic ceremonies, mm. I walked on in with fresh eyes and I was like, oh. this is... And this is a very silly place. This and, I have not experienced because I grew up with it. And so it was only when I kind of went back after not going for many years that I went, huh, this is a little yeah. odd. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see what his version of a weird twist is on what I consider an already very weird twist. Well, buckle up because it gets weird. So there was a black and white stage with an altar that was embossed with hieroglyphic patterns. And then the group's leader would come through and up upright coffin that they had covered with a gauze curtain. I mean, it sounds like a makeshift haunted house. First of all, love the theatrics of it. Like I so would, theatrical. I would love to enter rooms from an upright coffin, perhaps <laughs> accompanied with a flurry of bats. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so dramatic. I love the gauzed curtain. Like, I just wonder who, which assistant had to, like, hang that curtain up for well, him. It's also... Catholic is it's like a veil like is it like to like walk oh, out of the a veil or is it supposed to be like a sassy cape you just kind of fling to the side as you walk out of the coffin or is it a double entendre and it's both oh I love when you say double entendre <laughs> it's a beautiful <laughs> uh beautiful symbolism there with this curtain or is it just being dramatic for the theatrics uh -huh. of it who knows I think we, we both know, we both know. It 100% feels like community theater. It feels like somebody said, oh, okay, my 15-year-old brother works on set deck and he got to <laughs> right. bring home some of the set of, I don't know, Frankenstein, the play. It feels like Halloween drag like, yeah. or something. Yeah. During the rituals, poetry was read, swords were drawn, hmm. breasts were kissed, oh. wine was drunk, I'm okay with that part, and cakes made out of menstrual blood were eaten. Okay. Um, <laughs> it just uh, takes such a turn so quickly. <laughs> I was 
cool with every other thing you listed, <laughs> but the period blood cake, I gotta be honest, is a humdinger. It's <laughs> it's, a hum, it's a little too eccentric for me. I, not feeling And it. I feel like we're gonna blow right past that fact very quickly, but I just need you to know I'm gonna be researching the entire process and really horrid detail later because I need, unfortunately, I'm too fascinated that I won't be able to rest until I know, like, who was responsible for providing the blood that week? Did they also have to make the cake? How was the cake made? Was it how was it served? Did you have to eat it? If you enjoyed this, did you get to do it in your free time? Did you get just a bite? Did everybody get their own little cupcake? Like, was it a big cake? Is there frosting? Like, what's the frosting made out of? Is it tiered? Mm, a lot see, of questions. I are we eating it at a dinner table, all fancy, or like around a campfire? I don't no, know. I, th- I think around a coffin. Oh, right. Okay. So that part we know. Okay. I'll figure out the rest later. Okay. We'll we'll, uh, fill in the blanks later. Um, Yeah, Uh this is some very eyes wide shut, but like, (laughs) but like off brand community theater version that went off the rails, sort of. Oh, cakes made out of menstrual blood. Whoa. That's a big one. That's like a a hard one. I was going to say hard to swallow, but like literally and figuratively hard to swallow at um, least for me i you know there are clearly people who do this so that's true that's true i guess some people were into it um including jack parsons what was the thing i said last week of like it's not my world <laughs> oh my you, you just like show up with these what do you call them opinions no statements. like idioms like things that you just suddenly start saying and then faster than you learned them, they're suddenly gone and you don't even remember what they are. <laughs> well, whatever the idiom was last week where I was like trying to be as non-judgmental as possible, throw he that in here. saying, I'm not going to knock it. It's not my world. I'm not going to knock it. And you know what? I'm not going to knock it for <laughs> other people. For me, it's not my vibe. But It's not my y- vibe either. It is a little out of the box for me. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I miss the moment where you said we're going to breeze right past this because I really wish we had. (laughs) Okay, that's probably the funniest thing I'll have said in the next five years. So let's just move on quickly. (laughs) Well, as out of the box slash tough to swallow, this whole thing sounds Jack Parsons was all about it. It is his world. So don't knock it. I couldn't. He loved it. He loved the stuff. Alistair Crowley was his idol. And like we already mentioned, Crowley had taken a liking to him. Mm -hmm. And so Parsons just shared his and the group's beliefs, mainly that sex could be an important part of magical rituals. Okay. So after Parsons became one of Crowley's favorites, Parsons was put in charge of Agape Lodge Number 2. And he soon got very interested in the idea of blending the spiritual and material worlds because he wanted to bring a supernatural entity into the real world. And remember, this guy's a literal rocket scientist. He co-founded both the California Institute of Technology's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Aerojet General. Very successful. Aerojet's business was doing really well at the time. He had a lot of cash flowing in. And with that, he bought a mansion, I guess, in what is it? Millionaire's Row? Mm -hmm. And he moved the lodge's operations into his own house. So now he's like really in charge of this thing. Working from home, OG. Yeah, like, (laughs) right, to taking working from home to the next level. He nicknamed his mansion the Parsonage. 
And he got a ton of visitors and party goers. He had witches and artists, scientists and writers coming in and out of this place. Sounds like a great time. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. Speaking of going back in time, I think maybe this is where I would go if I were sent back in time just to like peek in. Doesn't sound like everyone that went there had to be a part of this like cake eating ceremony. Like, (laughs) No, I don't think so. If I were just someone's plus one, that sounds like a real eccentric group of people. And you know they got to have an open bar. Like I would have been oh, oh, full of blood. So watch out. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I probably wouldn't have trusted. I would have been BYOB <laughs> that, that party. <laughs> but still fascinating. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. Jack Parsons followed in Aleister Crowley's footsteps in many ways, including the possibility of establishing contact with spiritual beings. So now we're back to Babylon working and we're going to get into more of the details of this silly Mm. operation. (laughs) Amen. In January 1946, Parsons held a series of ritualistic experiments called the Babylon Working. Parsons' goal was to summon a spirit and, using magic, turn it into a tangible being. Essentially, he wanted to turn the Thelemic goddess of female sexuality, Babylon, into a human being. I'm going to sum it up here. Well, I'm not, but I'm going to read to you a quote uh, that the Sunday Times in London published in 1969 about Parsons' experiments. This might sum it up a bit. Here's a quote. To carry out this intricate mission, Parsons needed a female sexual partner to create his child in the astral spiritual world. If this part of the fixture went successfully, Parsons would be able to call down the spiritual baby and direct it to a human womb. When born, this child would incarnate the forces of Babylon. (laughs) Okay, why are you laughing? This is serious. Also, disturbed. Like this, we have entered full-blown stereotypical occult ritual territory and right also again leave it to a man to decide that a woman i'm sorry a goddess uh (laughs) is cool with doing this with him by the way yeah how do we know that the goddess is like yeah this is something i'm also into i haven't heard anything about that (laughs) i imagine like she wouldn't be i mean i wouldn't be i don't want to speak for her but uh, yeah this is definitely a one-sided project they have going here for lack of Uh a word um Uh In the introduction to the Book of Babylon, Parsons explained that the purpose behind Babylon working is to save the world from being destroyed, which to me seems a little like a stretch. I don't really know how or why that would be the end result of this project, but (laughs) well, that's what he said. Okay, good for him. He also said that the force of Babylon was to be found in each man and woman, but it could also manifest in a specific woman, which was the ultimate goal of Parsons. This is just getting super cringe. How many complexes can someone have? Because like, okay, to reiterate that lovely quote from the Sunday Times, he is preaching that he needs to sleep with the ultimate woman to save the world and his baby compared to all others is superior as a demigod. Like, (laughs) like that's his offspring. No one else's. Okay, well. It's not my world. It's not going to knock, gonna it. knock it. He says, I'm the one to do it. I'm the only one who can pull this off and save the planet. Okay. Yuck. We'll get there. We'll see if it actually works. We'll figure out if this mission was successful or not. Uh-huh. So the ritual was done in the parsonage over 11 days, which were basically inspired by the 11 rites that Aleister Crowley wrote about. After the first phase of the ritual was finished, there was this strange supernatural tension in the house while Parsons waited for results to manifest. Ugh. Parsons and one of his magical helpers drove out to the Mojave Desert, and there, the tension suddenly stopped. 
because they kissed. <laughs> <laughs> it was all over. We all felt that tension. They just needed to do something about oh, it. Oh, unfortunately, I wish that were the ending. But no, uh, Parsons told his helper, quote, it is done and felt sure that the tension had ended because he had accomplished the ritual. Check. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> as soon as Parsons and his helper arrived back at the parsonage, he found a woman at his house who said she was the one who would carry the incarnate of Babylon. Oh, good for her. You know, I'm glad someone volunteered before it became like a like a not volunteered. That's thing. true. I mean, you're you're right. At least this person came willingly. Yeah. The woman was Marjorie Cameron, who had been to Parsons' house before, but they had never spoken. This time, they took things to the next level and fell in love. Uh-huh. And of course, part of that included performing sex magic. Sorry, I just want to say, are we still on the the Catholic twist thing? Because this is kind of feeling pseudo-Christian. Mm. In what way? Because every Christian right now is having uh, well, a mini aneurysm that you're even saying that. But that's fine. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Are you talking about like a Virgin Mary situation? Yeah. Right. Oh. Like it feels like he thinks he's God and now a woman has shown up and he's like, I'm going to impregnate you with my demigod baby. OK, I'm interested. I see what you're saying here. Yes. It feels Virgin Mary. If by the way equally as crazy as the original Virgin Mary story. So sorry if I'm blowing all the Christians' minds out there, but they're both not making sense to me. Yeah. Um, hmm. I can definitely see the parallels here that you would have a woman who is basically carrying... I see it. I see it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. I validate your views on this story. Parsons believed he was fulfilling the next part of the Babylon working by trying to conceive the moon child. Uh-huh. So it has a name now, the moon child. <laughs> okay. But it seems that Marjorie Cameron didn't quite know about this goal. So now I'm, I'm starting to get a little, it feels a little fishy now that she showed up, said, I will carry the incarnate. To be fair, all of this is very confusing. And I imagine if yeah. you're in it, <laughs> there's That's probably day to day things that don't add up. So I can't blame anybody for being confused. But yeah, apparently trying to conceive the moon child, she didn't realize this was the goal. And then on February 22nd, Parsons wrote to Alistair Crowley to tell him the news about Marjorie and how his experiments were working. <laughs> I would pay big money to get my hands on that letter. I think it would be so wild to be able to, like, see that. By March of 1946, Jack Parsons had reportedly completed the final parts of the rituals in the Mojave Desert. But in the end... Although no moon child was conceived, Parsons believed Babylon working was a success and that Marjorie Cameron herself was an elemental spirit of Babylon. Oh, so we are doubling down like the proper <laughs> yeah. cultists we are. Okay. Right? Like it, things, he didn't have a moon child to show for it, but he still, yeah, doubled down and said, don't worry, I did it right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, this is what I wanted to happen (laughs) from beginning to end. This guy sounds like he's got a a real superiority complex. So (laughs) I guess I'm not surprised. Up next, was it all a success? Hmm. We have all the spoilers about what happened after Jack Parsons got out of the desert and stopped trying to bring spirits to life. At this point, folks, I have no idea what to expect. (laughs) 
You'll be shocked to find out Babylon Working was not quite the great success that Jack Parsons thought it was. I know you're surprised. Yeah, oh, there yeah. it is. Yeah. It must be a lag or a delay in the audio because your gasp came a little better than expected. I was actually just still process. I was like, this can't be. Hang on. Oh, I see. You were in <laughs> denial for a second. I got it. <laughs> well, he thought it would be this huge success after he finished the rituals to turn the goddess of sexuality, Babylon, into a human. Unfortunately, he didn't have much to show for this success. And to be fair, if you remember, Aleister Crowley was wary of Parsons' experiments the whole time. So when Parsons wrote to tell him the good news about Babylon working, Babylon working, working, I guess, Crowley thought he was overestimating himself. So even Aleister Crowley, who had seen, you know, (laughs) such promise in this man, is really questioning, questioning the results. And a shocking twist of events. You and I agree with Aleister Crowley. Whoa, I told (laughs) you you'd be shocked and odd. (laughs) A few months later, Parsons, hmm. What an interesting twist. Was no longer Lodge Master of Agape Lodge Number 2 drama. But I feel like Crowley was kind of gung-ho about this guy from the beginning. Like, said, you can perform all the advanced sex magic you want. Mm -hmm. Take over. You have um, my blessing. And now it sort of feels like, oh, your experiment didn't work. Well, let's just take him out of the equation. And we don't want his, like, the stain on our reputation almost. I don't know. That's just... That's just my insight. That makes me feel like Aleister Crowley was hoping that Babylon working was going to work. And I, I, I'm i not on the side of Aleister Crowley anymore. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were. I mean, it's hard to know because, like, clearly Parsons failed. And then Aleister Crowley was like, oh, yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not part of the. You know, I feel like it's easy to hindsight remove yourself when yeah. somebody fails at something even if you were like gung-ho about it in the beginning, kind of distance yourself. I feel like Crowley was like, go back to building jets or something. <laughs> yeah, go back to your rocket science, okay? <laughs> so yeah, there was some drama. Jack Parsons no longer Lodge Master. And this is a fun little um, personal aside. Parsons ended up marrying Marjorie Cameron in October 1946. I think you have to after that kind of trauma bonding. I, I guess you've, you've bonded over something. <laughs> He later said he believed he was mistaken that Marjorie would be the mother of an incarnation of Babylon and that actually she was Babylon herself. Oh, look at those heels just digging in. Oh, that is fun. Okay, Yeah, it's no wonder people try to distance themselves. I sort of feel like he took it really far and then he wouldn't back down and I think gave Aleister Crowley maybe an easy doorway to say, all right, we're going to push away from this whole thing you've got going on in your Uh marriage. So Jack Parsons died seven years later in June of 1952, and Marjorie, for what it's worth, held on to his belief that she was Babylon in human form. So even she believed it about herself, which I guess you'd have to. I'm glad they found each other. Right. They really were fit, like a (laughs) match made in heaven. Yeah. I think that's probably the wildest ride you've taken me on so far. I am glad I ordered coffee earlier because I feel like my brain needs a little jolt after um, trudging through that. It started with period blood cakes and then oh. ended with things so wild that I totally forgot about the period blood cakes for a That's second. That's when you know things went off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that should have been the craziest thing I heard in the last hour. <laughs> but nope. And yet. And yet. <laughs> that was certainly a doozy. I'm going to still run with the word silly. I'm going to say very silly. 10 very out of 10 silly. on the silly scale. You know, I would even argue to bring back your other word you used earlier, which is a humdinger. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. 
we mm-hmm. can we could insert a lot of words into this. I think those are maybe the two nicest. I think it's also interesting that he is a man of science and therefore brought in the what's it the scientific process or the mm, yeah. This is what I was talking about earlier, where you fly a little too close to the sun because uh-huh. I think he ended up trying to incorporate data into this and ended up ruining people's uh, opinion of it. I feel like if we had never tried Babylon working, Alistair Crowley might have really believed it could have still happened or something. That's or, a good point. Like if if he hadn't kind of inserted himself and said science will do it and then failed, majestically failed, maybe this belief system would have lived on and you would be neighbors with this place. I almost want to be on his side because he took something so bananas and... I respect that he was like, okay, well, let's put that into practice then and see how real it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if he was doing it more as a science experience. I think he truly believed it. Oh, but yeah. If he set the framework of like, okay, well, as a scientist, let's test this theory out. I could have respected him being interested in this stuff for a lot longer before I judged him. It reminds me of the SPR where they tried to... Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, the SPR is much more analytical, I would say. I think... Jack Parsons, like you said, really did believe this and was doing like 11 days of rituals and things that the SPR probably wasn't necessarily on board with. But it is a similar idea of like a scientist coming in to prove or disprove a theory or a hypothesis. And uh, he once again failed pretty magnificently, (laughs) in my opinion, not in his own. I think that's the other problem, though, is that as a scientist, you would think once he had put something into practice and it didn't work, he should have like ran with the data right instead of just like had some yeah. weird faith-based conviction about yeah, it. yeah that's a good point he didn't really follow the scientific method because i think the scientific method i would argue would maybe promote saying oh maybe i was wrong my hypothesis yeah. probably wasn't right not oh no 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 i was right all along but it wasn't a moon child baby it was my wife she's actually a goddess of sexuality okay i mean you know yeah, I feel like if he didn't own his own corporation, I think at work he might have been taken down a couple ranks based on like, <laughs> like ousted. <laughs> yeah, I think based on his like lack of keeping with the the scientific formulas. I don't know what the right word is. I think scientific method is the thing that he really okay. just threw out the window, you know, like that he should have stuck to that a little more. That's the first tenet of being a scientist. And I feel like he was like, nope, never mind. Actually, never mind. Actually, I have better things to do. And it's to create a moon child baby. He also does sound like a narcissist to begin with. So it doesn't surprise me that he could be the literally one of the smartest people in the world, it sounds like. And he was like, eh, that means I know better than the actual science itself. That means I'm going to force a goddess to become a human <laughs> against <God>. her will. <laughs> this was a wild ride, Christine. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from the OTO, Vice, LAS, The Babylon Working, 1946, L. Ron Hubbard, John Whiteside Parsons, and The Practice of Enochian Magic by Henrik Bogdan, The Collected Writings of Jack Parsons, and an article in the journal Censor titled The Gnostic L. Ron Hubbard, Was He Influenced by Aleister Crowley? Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at EM Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schiefer. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. 
Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin. Research by Chelsea Wood. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We are your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. Schultz.